We're going to pray together, and I'd like to invite you specifically. Uh, it's just something that has been uh, laid on my, my heart, and then actually talking to Pastor Mark, he brought the same thing to me, that we would just spend some time praying for our children. So it's just been a particular week where uh, it's felt like a, there's been a lot on our kids, whatever that may mean for you, you know, just that they seem burdened, uh, heaviness. And, and I know that that's on your heart too as uh, parents and aunts and uncles and friends and grandparents. So I thought um, we would just pray for uh, from unborn children to uh, babies and preschoolers and even middle schoolers, high schoolers, elementary, college. And you have children maybe that are older than that. Just uh, that's what's on my heart just specifically to pray. So if you just want to hold them in your hands or lift them up to God or hold on to them in the seat that you're in. Um, I just invite you in a specific time to lift up uh, your children to God. Let us pray. Jesus, uh, we have sung your praises because you are everything to us. We turn our attention to you and uh, so many of, of us have been feeling a need to pray for our kids. And so we just lift them to you now. We hold names in our hearts. Um, we see faces. We know of, of certain things that, that children are going through. We lift them up to you, Lord. We believe that there's, that there's things that can happen in prayer and praying in the name of Jesus. We pray this could be a, a turnaround kind of time for uh, children who are suffering or hungry, who are feeling darkness come against them, who are hurting. We pray for protection over our kids in the, in the church house now, in the school buildings, in our homes, kids who are going off to school different places or beginning their classes and, and don't have the same support systems around them. Some of us have kids that are really facing uh, difficult and distressing times and we lift them up to you, God, believing that you could, you could bring a breakthrough. We turn our hearts to you now, God, uh, asking uh, that you would be our teacher in these moments. Um, we really do want to look to this beautiful, wonderful, merciful, miracle Jesus. Would you work miracles amongst us today, God? We're praying, we're asking as best we know how. And we pray, God, that you would teach us from your word. You'd have something to say to us in the spirit. We're listening. Pray for each heart in this room and those who are online, God, hearts that are looking to you, hearts that need healing, hearts that need help. We believe, God, that you have something good for us coming today, and we expect it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're here. We welcome you. I know that there are folks here that are with us for the first time. And so I just want to say thank you for joining us. Welcome to, uh, to Providence Church. We're glad, glad, glad that, um, that you are here. We are continuing a study in the Bible of the book of Daniel. And if you're new with us, it's no big deal. We'll, you'll be able to pick right up with what we're talking about. But I want you to know we've been reading through an old book called Daniel. We'll be coming to the seventh chapter. And in the first uh, sermon in this series, some weeks back, I shared with you about an experience that I had on a Southwest flight to Denver where I sat down next to a lady and I realized that we were going to be chatting. And um, I had noise-canceling headphones around my neck. 
you know. And um, I was not wanting, there was no part of me that was wanting to chat for the next three and a half hours. But as I talked to Nicole, I realized, I began to feel something and sense that there was a reason I was sitting next to her and she actually had some things that she needed to speak into my life. There were some things that Nicole said to me, I don't know how she could have known them. And I began to pick up quickly that this was something that I needed to pay attention to. And though, even though it was just a, a flight, a Southwest flight to Denver, that there was something happening spiritually that I needed to pay attention to. And, and you know, I realized we are, are physical beings, you know, physical people. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, examples or reminders that we're physical, you know, like from our backs aching or to uh, the fair food that you're feeling right now or whatever might be going on in your physical being. We're physical people in a physical realm, but there's also a, a spiritual realm. There's spiritual things happening. It's actually kind of why we're here to think about what the Holy Spirit might say to us. And I know that sounds weird. That's sort of the point of everything I'm saying. I remember the first time it happened to me, I was 18 years old and I was speaking at this weekend retreat for guys around my age. And I had been given a prepared message and I had prepared it out. It was a speech on ideals, like what you should be focusing on at that particular time in your life. And how if you focus on good things, you'll be moving towards good things in your life. So I had this prepared speech and I got in this room before these young men all about my age at this particular time of my life where God was really changing my heart and working on me. And I had this feeling like I was supposed to leave my notes, you know, like stop talking about what's on my notes and just speak to these guys from my heart. And I knew that that wasn't what I was supposed to do, but it felt so urgent that I did it. I just tried it. I just spoke to these guys, you know, about how God had changed my life and how he could change theirs. I was so excited to do it. And then my time was up and I hadn't shared the things on my sheet, you know. And I walked out of that assembly hall and I was walking out and this, this pastor guy, a guy I'd known me my whole life, came up next to me. His name is Buddy. And Buddy said, he said, Jake, do you know what just happened in there? And I said, no, sir. I thought I was about to be reprimanded. And he said, the Holy Spirit just spoke through you. And I always remember my response. I said, what is the Holy Spirit? Like I had heard of it, but I really didn't know that much about it. And I definitely had never recognized it happening in my own life, much less through my own voice. It was a crazy moment. It was weird. Um, almost every week, maybe not every week, but almost every week, somebody will talk to me on the, on the way out and they'll say, Pastor Jacob, when you said blank, when you said this, that was the word for me. It spoke right to my heart. It's like, it was the, it, it, people say, it was like I was the only one in the room, right? It's like, you had written the whole thing for me when you said blank. And I'll always, I'm always thinking, that's cool. Thank you for telling me. And they'll walk away and I'll think, I didn't say blank. I never said that, you know? It wasn't in my notes, but people say, I heard this. I'll go back to the YouTube video and watch it and realize the back of my hair was sticking up or whatever. I hate watching myself on the YouTube. But, you know, it's like, but I didn't say that. It's weird that the Spirit can be working, you know, through flesh and blood, saying stuff, doing stuff. There's a, there's a spiritual realm at work. In the Bible, so often, this is sort of summed up by someone having a dream. There's all kinds of times in the Bible when somebody has a dream. And what happens when somebody has a dream, it sort of fits into all that. It's sort of weird. You know, like when you have a dream, it's like, what was that really about? What was going on there? But, you, but also, there's also something with a dream where you kind of think, was something going on there? 
was that really saying something to me? So a lot of times in the Bible it says they had a dream and what we're supposed to be clued into is like there's something going on in this spiritual realm that we should pay attention to. I'm one of the worst people to tell about a dream because I never really know what to say. Yesterday morning, my youngest daughter, Phoebe, said, Dad, I had a dream last night. And I'm like, oh boy, here it comes, you know. And she said, Roscoe was talking to me. Roscoe's our beagle. And I'm just like, that's just a dream, you know, that's just a dream. But I've always been bad at it. Rachel will attest. She, she loves to tell me, like from when we first got married, she loves to tell me her dream. Like we, she'd like wake me up and be like, hey, I just had this dream. And I'm like, I'm having a dream that you're still asleep. <laughs> you know, I was like, move on. But I never knew what to say. She's like, and here's what you say. Here's what you say if someone tells you they had a dream. I've learned this. You say, tell me about your dream. That's the response, okay? Tell me about your dream. And then they'll give this long, dreamy, weird, <laughs> stupid story, right? And then you say this. You say, well, how did that make you feel? Our counselors worked on this with me, right? <laughs> how, does, how does that make you feel? You know? Well, Daniel in chapter 7 moves from being a guy who interprets dreams to being somebody who has a dream. Daniel 7 is a shift in the story where almost everything that's been happening has been sort of physical things, real things, lion's dens, fiery furnaces, bad kings. And now all of a sudden for the rest of Daniel, it's really weird. This would be the point where you would stop a series on Daniel if you were smart, right? And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a dream. I want to read to you about it. Daniel 7 verse 1 says, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed he wrote down the dream and this is what he saw. This is remarkable to me that we have a written down dream from somebody 2,600 years ago, right? We have what he dreamed. So this is where we say, okay, Daniel, tell us your dream, right? Tell us your dream. He says, in my dream that night, in my vision, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then... Four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. Sounds like a dream, doesn't it? It's weird. The first beast was like a lion, but not just a lion, a lion with eagle's wings. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It doesn't say it was a bear, but it looked like a bear. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. If you read in Daniel chapter 7, it's a leopard with four heads, right? Dreamy kind of leopard. And then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast. And you, we'll see that the fourth beast is really what Daniel chapter 7 is all about, okay? Terrifying, dreadful, and very strong, this fourth beast. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns, of course. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them, Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it, for this one small horn. And this little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. So we got this big, terrible, scary beast. He has 10 horns, but then three of the horns are pulled out by the root and one little horn comes out. It has eyes and a mouth and it's boasting arrogantly. Like, look at me, I'm this horn, I'm awesome, I'm great, I'm this, it's, this is a very weird, a very weird dream. And then Daniel says, I watched his thrones were put in place and the ancient one uh, sometimes called the Ancient of Days, this is a description of God Almighty, sat down to judge. So we had four beasts. They're all weird and they're wacky and scary. 
And now God has come and sat down on a throne, but not just to check out all the beasts, to judge them, to judge them. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out of the throne, flowing from the presence of God. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. And then the court began its session and the books were open. Daniel says, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horns boastful speech. So even though God has sat down on the throne, we still got that arrogant horn coming out of the big scary terrifying weird beast and he says and I kept watching until the fourth beast that's where the horn was coming out of the fourth beast was killed and its body destroyed by fire the fourth beast was killed by the fire that was coming from the throne of the ancient of days Daniel says as my dream continued that night I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is the same word in Genesis of Adam, the human one. A human one comes down out of heaven into the place where the beasts are, but he now is approaching the ancient one and led into the presence. So the human one, son of man, is in the presence of God. And he was, the son of man, given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So the kingdoms of the beast have all been destroyed, but his kingdom will never be destroyed. And this is where we say, okay, Daniel, how did that make you feel? And Daniel says, it scared the, it scared the living daylights out of me. He says, I was troubled by all I had seen and my visions terrified me. So that's a weird dream, right? We would think, what do we do with, what do, we do, with that dream? And what people have done for thousands of years, they've tried to figure it out. There are, literally, there are many, many interpretations of what was happening in the dream in Daniel chapter 7. Many faithful, smart, scholarly people would say, this is what the dream is about. But there, uh, there's dispute amongst it, right? It's hard for me to say. I, actually, it's hard for me to know really what the, what the interpretation of the dream is. I've never really considered myself a prophet or somebody that would be able to interpret dreams. So uh, we're going to leave that for just a moment. And what I want to share with you are three things that are clear about this story that I think everyone would agree on and that I think mean something for your life today. Daniel chapter seven. The first thing is this. There are things going on in the spirit, meaning there is a spiritual realm. There are things that happen in our physical world with our physical bodies that aren't physical. They're spiritual. The Bible sometimes calls them unseen things, things that you can't see with your normal eyes. So we have physical eyes, but there are some things, things that can be seen in the spirit. We have our brains that can think cognitively, but there's actually spiritual ways that our brains can be spoken to. There's feelings that we have in this world, but there are also spiritual feelings that, that we have and that can move us. There, are, there is a spiritual realm, and I'm just telling you guys, like, we're just reading a history book uh, with stories if we don't believe that there's actually a spiritual thing going on, that the Holy Spirit is real. Even if you're like me, sometimes like, what is the Holy Spirit? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've ever recognized it in my own life. There is a spiritual realm. And that means, as we've looked at the book of Daniel, and we've seen, we've been talking about how it's, a, it's a indicative of our lives today, living in a time where it's hard to be a follower of God, where now being a follower of Jesus is not something that will in any way go with the flow. I'm just telling you, it won't. 
You can't play church anymore. There's no reason to just kind of come in and check into church and leave. That kind of thing is over. To follow God in this time, it's a, it's a distinct thing. It's a different thing. You have to be devoted to do it. You have to be disciplined to do it. And we've talked about how there are things that come against us in, that, in this time, cultural pressures, societal things where we might even feel like we're, you know, this is running, but I was gonna say swimming. So, you know, however you wanna think about it, where we're going against the current, which would be swimming, right? So we're going against it and it feels that way. But what Daniel 7 is showing us is that it's not just cultural forces that we're going against. There is a spiritual realm and there are spiritual forces of evil and wickedness in this world. That there are actually, um, there is actually evil and it's at play and it's warring against the good in the world. That's things, that stuff's really happening when you feel it. And Daniel chapter seven is a shift in the story from talking about how followers of God live in a society and live in a culture and they have to figure out this is dangerous, this is hard, this king is bad, I don't wanna bow down to that statue, but there's other things going on that we have to pay attention to. There is, there are things going on in the spirit. The second thing, if you can bring that up, is these spiritual things will appear to be weird at first, almost always. Almost always when something's happening spiritual, at first you're gonna be like, is this lady really talking to me on the plane? I have noise-canceling headphones on, like, for real? What is going on here? And you have to do discernment to figure out, is God trying to do something in this moment? But almost always, the, the spiritual things um, will appear weird at first, like a dream. And you'll tell somebody, this is, this is kind of what I'm feeling, or this is kind of what I saw. When I was writing this uh, sermon, somebody's like, you write these things? And it's like, yeah, this is all planned out, okay? Uh, when I was uh, writing my sermon this week, I was sitting in my truck at a park early in the morning. I had the windows down, something I like to do sometimes. And I've got my Bible open to Daniel chapter seven. I'm really wrestling with this chapter. I had to tell you, like this dream, I'm like, what is this all about? What does this mean? And uh, as I'm typing this part of the, the, the story, I'm saying like, um, things that are spiritual will appear weird at first. While I'm typing that, this butterfly flies into my truck and it's like in front of my face. I'm like, for real, you know? And the butterfly comes and lands on my Bible. Uh, I actually took a picture of it because I, like, I want to show everybody what this is like. So I was just like, there's chapter seven, this butterfly. This could mean nothing, right? <laughs> I'm in a park, my windows are down, a butterfly could fly in. But I'm just looking at it, I'm like, does this mean anything? And so I continue on, right? Working on my sermon. Uh, it started to get hot, like, why am I sitting in my truck on this day? That was not the smartest thing. So I decided I saw a shady spot and I thought I'll just move over there as I was sitting not in the shade. Maybe I'll roll the windows up and run the air conditioner for just a few minutes. I don't want to make too big of a carbon footprint, you know, but I'm dying here, right? And I see you guys doing it for like over an hour in the car line every day. So, uh, so I was like, I'll just do the air conditioner. So the, the butterfly, I kind of, you know, kind of scooch him out. And he flies out, I say, bye Jesus. And I roll up my window and I go over to this other spot, you know, 20 yards away. And after a while, I rolled the windows down again. And I'm just telling you, that butterfly flew right back in my truck. I was like, hmm, okay. So that's when I decided that I would tell you guys about it. And I got nothing else for you on it. <laughs> I don't know anything about this butterfly. It could have just been a butterfly. But I thought, if we're talking about this, let's do it. And so I just said, I'm like, okay, I'll tell. I mean, even as far as like Thursday when we were getting all this together, I was like, I'm not sure I'm telling them about the butterfly. <laughs> but I thought, I'll just tell you guys. And maybe in three months from now, we'll be like, oh my goodness, you realize what that was? And we'll discern that God was doing something in that. Or you, there might be somebody here right now. It's like, 
oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I know what that is. I don't know. I honestly have no idea, but I wanted you to notice. What, here's my hope for this sermon, one of them, is that this week when you saw, see something weird, you would ask, God, are you trying to say something to me? Because when the Spirit shows up, it's almost always weird at first. Weird meaning different. Weird meaning like something inside of you says something going on. That could be a spiritual inclination, a spiritual kind of prompt for you to pay attention to. And if we're not doing that, we're just reading history stories, right? And, and instead, we're in a spiritual realm where God has involved us as partners in the battle against evil. Amazing. But the third reason, this is, this is the most important, is Jesus believed that Daniel 7 is very important. Jesus believed Daniel chapter 7 to be very important. That, that's reason enough for us to look at it. And what I'm telling you is that Jesus actually quoted from a portion of Daniel chapter 7 more than any other place in the Bible. That's crazy. But first, I want to just talk about these four beasts for a moment. Like, let's just think about it for a minute. So there's four beasts. There's a lion beast, a bear beast, <laughs> leopard beast, and the big, bad, scary beast that can't even be described because it's got ten horns, then three go away, and then one comes out, and it's talking to people. It's really, really weird. And there's all kinds of people that have tried to talk about what the four beasts are. For us, it's very strange to talk about beast. For people in that day and people who studied the Old Testament, it would have been more normal. Beast almost always in the Bible uh, represent an empire, a kingdom or a king. So in other books of the Bible, like Jeremiah and other places, you'll find mentions of beasts that represent empires that are coming against the people of God. So they probably would have thought real quick with Daniel's four beasts that we're talking about some empires or some kingdoms. And there's even some dating described in the back part of Daniel chapter seven about when this is gonna happen and how it's gonna happen, but it's very confusing. And so there's, a, there's groups of people that have discerned it to mean different times in different places. A lot of people think that it describes these four kingdoms that came at this time. There was a Babylonian kingdom, then a Persian kingdom, then one called Media, and then the Greek kingdom that was destroyed through this guy, by this guy was destroyed named Antiochus in 160 BC. These four kingdoms. And there's a lot of people that say, that's what that was describing in Daniel chapter seven, but nobody knows. Some people think it's describing what actually happened in Jesus' time as there was more kingdoms and empires, the Roman Empire and how all that came together, but nobody, you know, nobody really knows. Other people think it is like a future prophecy that is yet to come. As your eyes glaze over, and I get that, I just want to share with you, nobody really knows, but here's what Daniel chapter 7 says. Verse 17 says, the four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. So the four beasts do, are talking about four kingdoms. Now, whether it's one of those I just talked about or all those together or something that's happening right now, we don't know. But it says, but in the end, next verse, but in the end, the holy people of the most high will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. That phrase, the holy people of the most high is the same phrase, the son of man. It's a human. It's saying there's gonna be this human element that comes into where the beasts are and the, and the son of man's gonna sit on the throne and they will rule forever and ever. Okay. <laughs> Daniel in his time was sort of raging against the empire in a quiet, disciplined, devoted way. His life and his presence was speaking against the spiritual and evil forces and saying, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not living that way. He was in his own way raging against the machine, right? By the life that he was living as a faithful follower of God. Some of y'all may have seen, uh, there's a brand new number one song on the charts. It's a very unique song and very unique in, in, in its style, but also in the way that it arrived on the charts. It's sung by a guy named Oliver Anthony, and he never played a concert. He doesn't have a record deal. The song is called The Rich Men North of Richmond. 
And he's talking about the politicians in Washington, D.C., clearly. And people have loved this song, especially uh, working class people, uh, particularly connected with it because he's kind of railing against it and all that. It's amazing that the song is number one on the charts. It's the first time a, chart is, a song has ever never been on the charts and entered on the charts at number one. No record deal, nothing like that. Uh, and a bunch of people like the song. And guess what? There's a whole other group of people that don't like the song. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> 2023, right? So you got all these people that like it. You can read, you can see all these videos on it and you can see all these people that say Oliver Anthony is wrong. I don't really have any care of getting into any of that. My, my purpose in saying that, well, actually this weekend, Oliver Anthony came out to both sides and he's like, he said, I actually don't like either one of you. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's just like, I'm against it. I'm raging against the machine, right? So, uh, but, the, but the point being is that that everybody, regardless of what you're disagreeing about, everybody agrees that there's this beast out there that's holding us back. And we can't even put a name to it. He calls it the rich men north of Richmond, but it's a describing a, a beast, this thing that, that's coming against us. And everybody's like, yeah, I get that. I feel that. I sense that. Well, Jesus lived in a time just like that because every time is just like that. We are not the first people to be angry at our government or thinking that things are going wrong. That's every moment in society, okay? And so Jesus lived in that same kind of time and he starts quoting from Daniel chapter seven. In fact, more than any other self-description that Jesus gives himself, more than Messiah, more than Christ, more than the bread of life, more than the light of the world, more than the good shepherd, more than any other description of Jesus, Jesus self-describes himself more as the son of man. There's over 81 times in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that mostly Jesus or someone is mentioning the son of man. In Daniel chapter seven, the human one who came down from heaven and sat on the throne. And the most prominent place or notable place for sure is in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is standing before a judgment seat in Jerusalem, before a man named Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. Uh, and, and what that means in that time to be the highest religious official in Jerusalem, the religious place, he was, you know, he was, he was the main guy. And so he's saying to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? They brought him before trial. Aren't you gonna answer these, trial, these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Now, for some of you who've been walk, walking along the Daniel story, what do you think Jesus' defense is when he stands before the, 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 the judge? No defense. No defense. He says, nothing. Interesting. Well, then the high priest said, I demand in the name of the living God, you can tell he's getting angry. It's very Nebuchadnezzar-like. I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. And so Jesus does reply and he says, you say so. That's actually sort of what that statement means. The, the, the high priest says, tell us if you're the Christ. And he says, you say that I am. But in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. That is a direct quote from Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. Jesus says to the priest, to Caiaphas, he says, he says, I am the son of man. No one disputes that Jesus in that moment was claiming that he was that one, the human one from heaven to come sit on the throne. And Caiaphas, the high priest, tears his clothes in the presence of Jesus. He rips open his clothes and the rest of the priests in the room start screaming at Jesus. They start yelling at him and saying, you deserve to die over and over. You deserve to die. Why? 
Because Jesus was not the only one who has Daniel chapter seven memorized. Every dude in that room would have been studying those texts and those scriptures their whole lives. And when Jesus says, I'm the son of man who've come down from heaven to sit on the throne, he was saying to them, you are the beast, the bad one, the big, bad, scary beast. You guys are. With the horn, you know, remember the 10 horns and the weird horn with the face? And he's like, that's you guys. And, and they are enraged that Jesus would say that. Jesus is not saying that to the government. He's saying it to the religious officials. And what we see in that moment is, is Jesus is saying, the beast can be in any of us. The, the thing that, that wants to do what it wants to do. So what does a beast do? A beast does whatever it wants to do. A beast always goes beast mode, right? A beast never, uh, never kind of controls itself. And it's an animalistic. It, never succumb, it, it always succumbs to its desires. But those who follow God say, I will submit myself to the one who sits on the throne. I won't just do whatever the heck I want. I won't just go after every impulse. Why? Because I'm not a beast. And so Jesus in that moment is upending an empire because he's bringing before it the one thing that they don't know how to handle. And you might think, well, doesn't Jesus get killed? Like, after this, isn't he beaten, humiliated, and killed? How is that the way that Jesus is upending the empire? Exactly. Because what happens on the cross is Jesus takes the one thing that empires use to hold sway over people, which is physical harm and death. And he goes and experiences the full extent of physical harm and death. And he is still not separated from God. There's nothing that can happen to Jesus in the physical realm. The human one who came from the spirit to the physical realm. There's nothing that can happen to him that can separate us from God. And that means there's nothing that can happen to us, those of us who follow Jesus, that can separate us from God. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing that you can go through, nothing that you can worry about, no amount of being beaten, no amount of being humiliated, no amount of burden on your children, no flood in any city, no, no city that's being burned burned down, no backache, no, no cancer. There's nothing that can separate you. And Jesus shows that on the cross. He upends the empire by, by, by trumping every king, by saying, I'm the one who sits on the throne. And it makes people in power get very, very angry. So what does this mean for us? It means that in a time like this, we follow the example of someone like Daniel, devoted, different, and disciplined. His very life was the witness that pointed towards God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're standing before king who's gonna throw them in a fiery furnace. He says, what do you have to say for yourself? What's your defense? They say, we have no need to defend ourselves. They say, because our God will rescue us. And even if he doesn't rescue us, we're good. <laughs> That's how faith, people of faith live. They're like, uh, we're pretty sure God's gonna get us out of this mess, but if he doesn't, we're good, so do whatever you want. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Well, what are lions? Beasts, a bunch of beasts. You see the imagery? And, and the beast can't harm Daniel, and the beast can't harm you. <laughs> and so you live for the Lord faithfully, uh, and really the, the thing that we can do is go through the same baptism that Jesus went through. The baptism of his suffering and his death is what leads to resurrection. And so every pain you go through, every sorrow, every shortcoming, 
Every insufficiency is an opportunity for the grace of God to be sufficient in your life, for resurrection to come into you, and for you to see that God is doing something in your life right now. And we walk around a little bit weird, a little bit different, noticing what God is doing, pointing to his power, and in so doing, pushing against the powers, not of the government of evil. Because Jesus had the power to end it all on the cross. We're victorious through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for speaking to us spirit unto spirit, deep unto deep. We ask for forgiveness of our own sins and the only ways that we see that um, darkness and sin is, is come into our lives. But through Jesus Christ, we accept the forgiveness and the full redemption of all the brokenness. God, would you use us to be a people who point to Jesus, the way of Jesus, his love, his mercy, and ultimately his life. As we come to communion today, let it be for us the body and blood of Christ that in receiving this very simple meal, it would be a different kind of thing that we'd see the juice and the bread as a way of taking on Jesus in the spirit and living for him. In his name we pray, amen.